to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. So Jesus had begun to reveal himself to be the fulfillment of the Jewish religious rituals, and yet those in authority really refused to accept him. They tried to trap him by bringing a woman caught in adultery to him, anticipating that he could not uphold the law of Moses and also show himself to be the friend of sinners. But Jesus forced the woman's accusers to consider their own sin in and unable to cast the first stone, each one of them walked away. Jesus, the sinless one, could have condemned her, but he didn't. Instead, he released her and told her to leave her old life of sin. And as I said before, it is because he accepts us just the way that we are, but he doesn't want us to stay the way that we are, because he is the light of the world, and those who follow him will not walk in the dark of their old way of life. So today, let's go on in verse 13, where we see the Pharisees bring out the same old objections they have before. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but... If I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So they accuse him saying that he needs a second witness to vouch for him in accordance with the Jewish law. But Jesus had already already spoken to them about this before. And so he reminds them that God the Father had borne witness to the Messiah in his word. You may not know this, but Christ fulfilled well over 300 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah in his lifetime. God the Father's testimony was there. They just chose not to believe it. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So if someone really wants to know God the Father, they need only look into the face of Christ. Because as we're told, even in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus was very open about his claims, and yet despite their hatred of him and all that they planned, they were not able to harm him because his time had not yet come. You see, God was in control, not man. 
Again, Jesus predicts his departure from the earth, and again they can't understand him. Verse 21. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Jesus is really telling them that by ignoring his invitation, they're going to miss out on their opportunity to be reconciled with God the Father. You see, without faith in Jesus, they cannot be separated from their sin. None of us should put off the decision to follow Jesus. And I want to say, if any of you haven't yet accepted Christ as your Savior and the Lord of your life, do not delay any longer. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. Choose to walk in his light right now. You know, I remember as a little girl, my father invited me to go somewhere with him. But I was being very difficult and I asked him to wait. I'd come in a little while. Well, when I finally went to look for him, he was nowhere to be found. He'd left without me. And even today, I can clearly remember what it was like to stand in disbelief in the empty driveway, looking at the closed gate, knowing that because of my own stupidity, I had missed the invitation of my father. I've now realized that that day, I understood the biblical expression, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, because I understood the suffering of knowing what might have been had I not delayed. And I know the deep regret of not being able to change the outcome. Don't let that be your eternal story. Jesus cared enough even about the religious leaders to warn them, but look at their reaction in verse 22. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. When Jesus says that they cannot come where he's going, their minds immediately go to the thought that he's planning suicide. You see, they believed that suicide would very likely put him under God's judgment. They thought themselves righteous and better than him. They thought Jesus would be the one separated from God, and that was why they wouldn't be able to go to the place that he would be. But in reality, it's really the other way around. He is righteous, and without his righteousness credited to their account, it is they who will be separated from God. The only way for us to be reconciled with the Father and set free from our debt of sin is by Christ the promised one of God. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, 
When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has told me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. So Jesus is using the messianic title, the Son of Man from the Old Testament, and he tells them that when they lift him up, actually on the cross, they will recognize him for who he is. Though the people didn't understand all of what he said, many people did start to believe in him because Jesus spoke with such incredible authority. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is an incredibly important verse for all of us. Jesus addresses those religious leaders like Nicodemus who had begun to put their faith in him. And he speaks to them about the mark of true discipleship. And this really applies to you and me also. And what is that mark that proves a person is Christ's disciple? Proof of discipleship is that we continue in his teaching, in the word of God, for as we study it and put it into practice, we will not only come to know the truth, but that truth will lead us into ongoing freedom. Remember that Jesus is speaking to this large group of religious leaders. Some of them have come to faith, but others have not. Now, in verse 33, we're going to see those others speak up. They don't like his suggestion that they need freedom. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? This statement is so inaccurate, you have to wonder if they knew anything about their history and the Old Testament at all. Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people, had been enslaved at different times to Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and even as they spoke, Rome controlled the region. How could they possibly say that as Abraham's descendants, they had never been the slaves of anyone? By their own words, they proved themselves liars who were not really dealing with the truth. Of course, as was so often the case, Jesus is not speaking in physical terms. He was speaking about spiritual bondage. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, very truly at the beginning of the sentence there means that what he is about to say is unquestionably true. Sinners are slaves to sin. Jesus goes on to remind them that in those days, slaves had no real place in the family. Only children belonged. And that's why God wants to free us and make us his children. Now, let me just say, though, that we know even Christians do sin from time to time. You and I both know what it is like to make a wrong choice and then quickly repent 
asking God's forgiveness and his help to walk in the way that he wants us to. Jesus here, he's focusing on the daily pattern of our lives. If sin is your regular pattern of living, it controls you. It owns you. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, he also has to become our Lord. And out of love for him, we're going to want to follow his commands, and that's going to lead us to real freedom. But those who continue to live out their day-to-day lives in sin prove that they are spiritually enslaved by what they do. It also proves that they are still slaves and not true children of God, because coming to Christ has to affect the way that we live. But even then, there is hope, because faith in the Son of God is what sets you free from slavery. So how does a slave to sin become a child of God? It is by believing in Jesus and asking him to forgive us. John 1 12 remember said to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. Receive Jesus and you will transition from slave to son. The nation that you're born into, the human tribe or family that you're born into does not count. These religious leaders were Jews and yet being Jewish did not make them children of God as we'll soon see. Jesus goes on to address this in verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. So who your spiritual father is, is always going to be proved by what you do. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. So you see, there are two different things he says to them here. In verse 37, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. But in verse 39, he says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. So there's a difference in being a descendant of Abraham and being a child of Abraham. First of all, Jesus acknowledges that they were Abraham's physical descendants, but they are not Abraham's spiritual descendants. Galatians 3, 6-9 tells us that even Gentiles, non-Jews, can be Abraham's children. Let me read it to you. So Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So who is a child of Abraham? Those who rely on faith. You see, Abraham believed God 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so he became the spiritual father of all who believe. Jesus tells these Jewish religious leaders that they are not Abraham's spiritual children, because if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works that Abraham did. Now, what are the works of Abraham? Well, remember that there really is only one work, belief. And that was proved in various ways by what Abraham did, by his actions. Think about some of the things Abraham did based on his belief in God. God called Abraham to go to a land he did not know. And Abraham went. After God promised him descendants, Abraham believed God despite him and his wife's great age. Romans 4 tells us that Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God because he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Additionally, Hebrews 11:17 to 19 tells us, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. It's really hard for us to imagine why God might have asked Abraham to sacrifice the very son that he had promised him. But Abraham, you see, so believed God would be faithful to his promise that it was through Isaac that his offspring would be reckoned, that he believed that even if Isaac died, God would raise him from the dead in order to keep his word. If you read Genesis 22, where that story is covered, you'll see each time Abraham spoke to his servants, he said to them, we will return to you. And when Isaac asked him where the sacrifice was that they were to offer God, Abraham said, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And that is exactly what God did do. Because at the last moment, God provided a substitute to be offered in Isaac's place, a ram that was caught in the bushes by its horns. That substitute, though, that sacrifice really pointed to Jesus Christ and how he would one day come to die on our behalf in that very same place. And you see, what Abraham was asked to do, God's done. God's offered his only son. Abraham, without fully understanding, looked forward to God's provision. How fortunate that we are that we can look back to the cross and know the one whom God has provided. He looked forward to the substitute God would send, and we look back to the one that God has sent. And this is why Jesus would soon say in John chapter 8:56 Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day he saw it and was glad you see it was by faith that he did
Though these leaders claimed to have Abraham as their father, they plainly did not believe God the same way that Abraham did. In fact, their actions proved that they had a different father. In verse 41, Jesus said to them, you are doing the works of your own father. And look at how they respond to Christ. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Now, you and I might miss this, but what they're saying there is really to insult Jesus. They're making a very unkind reference to the old rumors that Jesus was the illegitimate child of Mary and Joseph. You see, these leaders are so proud. They think that God is their father, but they're quite wrong. In verse 42, Jesus clearly says to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. You see, it was really as if these religious leaders didn't have ears to hear what Jesus said. It was because their father was really the devil and they actually wanted to carry out his desires. Today, some people don't think that Satan exists, but Jesus taught us that Satan is a real being, that he was a murderer from the beginning, and that he's always been a liar because there is no truth in him. Not only that, he says that he is the father of lies because when he lies, he speaks his native language. So look how they react in verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? Well, of course, calling him a demon possessed Samaritan was really the worst insult they could possibly think of at the time. This is the king of glory and yet see how they insult him. Jesus responds calmly. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Jesus, you see, is so different to them. He speaks the truth. He brings honor to God and he seeks the Father's glory. They're doing none of that. And still, Jesus tells them how to have life in God's presence forever. Verse 51, very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? 
Well, of course, the answer to both of those questions is yes. Jesus is greater than Abraham and the prophets, and he is the only one who can give us eternal life. But something remarkable is about to happen. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father, or ancestor, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And with that, Jesus uses the name of God given to Moses at the burning bush. There in Exodus 3.14, when Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? God said, tell them I am sent you. Notice Jesus began here with the phrase very truly at the beginning of the sentence, meaning that what followed was unquestionably true. He is the living God of Exodus 3.14. He is the self-existent one, the ever-present one. He who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. This was a direct claim to be God, and these religious leaders understood it as such. They know exactly what Christ has said, because look at what they do. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You see, stoning was the punishment for blasphemy. They knew that Jesus had just claimed to be God himself, and this was the appropriate response for them. But again, Jesus vanished into the crowd because God is in control of the situation, not man. Over and over again, we see John emphasize the religious leader's blindness. But now, as we begin chapter 9, we see Jesus heal a man who had been born blind. Verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, in those days, people usually thought that a disability like this was a form of judgment from God and that the person or their parents had somehow done something to deserve it. Sadly, it's not any different today. But look at what Jesus says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What happened to this man had not been a judgment from God on him or his parents. God would be glorified through the work that Christ would do in this man's life. Now, notice Jesus seems to emphasize the work that the Father had given him to do. And just ahead in verse 14, we're going to learn that this miracle is again done on the Sabbath. 
After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said to him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. You know, I think that this passage clearly shows how Jesus ministers differently to different people. Previously, we see the man lying at the pool of Bethesda. Christ merely speaks the word, the man obeys, and immediately he's made well. Here, Jesus makes mud, puts it on the man's eyes, and the miracle is not immediate. This man has to obey Christ and go and wash at the pool of Siloam, that pool of living water, before he's able to go home seeing. What do you remember about that pool of Siloam from our previous lesson? Well, it was there that the high priest drew the water for the ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus had already declared that we must come to him, the true living water. This man who was blind from birth is now able to see. But it's important we understand something. This man's sight was not merely restored. He was given sight that he never had before. This had never happened in the history of mankind. There'd never been a miracle like this because this was something that only God himself could do. And it was also a sign that pointed beyond itself. You see, Jesus is the only one who can open the eyes of those spiritually blind from birth. And that's where we'll have to leave it today. Father God, we thank you so much that you give us sight we never had before. As we come to Jesus, the spring of living water, Lord, you touch us in a way that opens our eyes to see things in the spiritual realm that we have never been able to understand or notice before. Lord, I pray that as we go through this week, you would continue to talk to our hearts and minister this truth to us in our daily lives. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and for his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.